Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, happy early Thanksgiving to all of you. Are you guys excited for the holiday? Wow, the enthusiasm is overflowing in this moment. All right. Is there anyone here who's like, man, I like Thanksgiving more than I like Christmas? Is there anyone? Man, I feel bad for you guys. You guys are weirdos. Um, Thanksgiving is the appetizer to the meal that is Christmas, in my opinion. But listen, I'm excited for you. I hope you really enjoy uh, this week. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, can you open them up to Genesis 3? If you brought a Bible, open up to Genesis 3. If you don't have a Bible, we got you covered. Um, There's people walking down the aisles. Just raise your hand. We'll get a copy of God's Word to you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, keep it as our gift to you. We'd love for you to keep that and have an early Thanksgiving gift on us. And here's the truth. I love the holidays. Like I look forward to this time of year, like starting in like September. I'm like, man, I can't wait for Thanksgiving. I can't wait for Christmas. Um, But there's like a little bit of weirdness and conflicting emotions around the holidays, isn't it? Like when you're in June, there's like this nostalgia of Christmas. You're like, man, it's going to be so beautiful. There's going to be snow outside. There's going to be all the Christmas lights. We're all going to gather together as families. Like Christmas is going to be amazing. And then when Christmas comes, you're like, man, I hate how cold it is. And I can't believe I got to hang out with my family so much, right? Like they're driving me crazy. So often how we think Christmas and Thanksgiving is going to go is way better than how it actually goes. Isn't it interesting that the time of year when things are supposed to slow down, it ends up being the most busy and most stressful time of year? Isn't that wild? Um, I I looked up some kind of fun statistics on Thanksgiving that I thought you guys might appreciate. And and so this is in 2019. This is a Harris poll on Thanksgiving. Here's what it found. According to this poll, 68% of Americans secretly don't like the traditional Thanksgiving meal but they eat it anyways out of tradition and not wanting to tick their parents off, all right? So, so moms, as you're slaving away all day making the casserole and the turkey, just know in the back of your minds, your kids would have been more happy with pizza that you could have ordered from Papa John's, right? It would have been way easier. 68%, and what we really don't like is having to prepare the meal. According to this poll, 42% of men would rather give up watching football for a month than be responsible for cooking Thanksgiving dinner. I won't watch football for a month if I don't have to cook Thanksgiving. That's what they said, 42%. 40% of millennials, ages 23 through 38, would willingly give up sex for a month rather than be responsible for cooking Thanksgiving dinner. So someone thought that was really funny. Um, <laughs> and 29% of Americans and 39% of millennials would rather go a month without a phone than have to host and cook the Thanksgiving meal. Happy Thanksgiving. Are you depressed yet? (laughs) So I've got some good news for you. Uh, You know who really, really loves Thanksgiving? The Easy Cheese people. (laughs) If you work for Easy Cheese or a stockholder in Easy Cheese, you love Thanksgiving because in the three weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, sales of this goes up by like 200%, right? Because nothing says the holidays and Thanksgiving like pressurized cheese, right? (laughs) Like on the bottle, it says made with real cheese. And that's terrifying to me because I have no idea how this works or when it was made with real cheese. But the easy cheese people, they're all about Thanksgiving. So here's a question. Anyone like a huge fan of easy cheese? Anyone like, man, this is my jam. I could really use some easy cheese. You're nervous right now, right? Like I don't want to raise my hand. I know it's it. You are? You love easy cheese? Here you go. Catch. Happy Thanksgiving. It's it's all yours. (laughs) See... 
Thankfully, I'm not a youth pastor anymore, and I'm not going to make him come on stage and squirt it in his mouth till he gags, right? I'm way past that, more mature than wanting to do something like that. Um, the holidays are just weird. And all joking aside, there is a certain level of dissonance around Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like some of you, when you think of the holiday, you're looking forward to gathering together with, with family and celebrating with them. And for others of you in this room, all you can think about is who's not going to be there this year. Whether that's through someone passing away or maybe a broken relationship in your family, there's grief and sadness around the holiday. Maybe you're thinking about the holidays and it's like, you know what, this might be the last time we gather together with this loved one. And there's a heaviness and weight that, that is just kind of surrounding all of the activity. Um, statistically in America, it's funny, in a season that's all about hope and joy and love, depression and suicide tend to spike and peak in this season because in the absence of hope, when that's elevated, the hopelessness seems all the more heavy. Right? There's a certain amount of dissonance. I mean, isn't it wild that literally the day after we set aside a day to be thankful for everything we have, the next day is Black Friday, which is the number one consumer shopping day in America? Like, that's a little schizophrenic, isn't it? Like, hey, let's take a day to be thankful, but, but listen, we got to get to bed early because we got to be up at two in the morning to stand in line at Walmart to get the good deals. Do you know that there is no day that is growing in percentage of shoppers in any day in our calendar than Thanksgiving because people are starting early on the Black Friday deals? Now listen, I'm not out on Black Friday and I think that can be really fun and good with family and, and I'm all for deals, but you just have to understand that there's a certain level of, of dissonance. And if you're like me, I think as I get older, every year I'm like, you know what, I really want to make the most of this holiday season. I want to enjoy the time with family. I, I want to be vertically focused. I want to be thankful, not just for what I have or for my family, but I want to be thankful for all the Lord has done in my life and in my family's life. And I want to make this about worship. But it seems like every year it just seems to go faster. And if we're not focused, we just get swept along with all of the busyness and we can miss what's most important. So here's the big idea for this morning. It's this. It's that in an incredibly conflicted season, the choices that we make are really important. In a season that's incredibly conflicted, you and I have some choices that we need to make that, that are really, really important. They matter a lot. And the plan this morning is just to look at four choices that you and I need to make this holiday season. And by the way, it's not just about the holidays. These are four universal choices we have to make for the rest of our lives if we want to be people that are marked by joy and peace. And we're going to learn this through the story of Adam and Eve, a young couple that was literally given everything and threw it away. And by looking at their failure, we're going to look at the choices they made and we're going to learn, hey, what are the choices that you and I need to make if we're going to thrive this holiday season? So if you have your Bibles, again, Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. And uh, just a little bit of background, just so we're all on the same page. Remember, God created the world. He created the Garden of Eden, which was this beautiful garden. Everything is perfect. There's no sin. He places Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says, it's all yours. Be fruitful, multiply. Uh, you, can, you can go, and you can make culture, and you can build a family and build a life for yourself. Everything I have is yours. There's one thing I don't want you to do. You can't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else is fair game. It doesn't seem like overly stringent, does it? Well, we're going to see them choose to fail in Genesis 3. Look at verse 1. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Okay, the first choice to thrive this holiday season and for the rest of your life is this. You need to listen to the right voices. You need to listen to the right voices. Like, up to this point in the story, there was only God's voice and there was only the voices of Adam and Eve that they had for each other. Then all of a sudden, this new character appears and God's voice gets drowned out by the voice of Satan. I mean, Eve didn't have to listen to the serpent. Or the serpent. I mean, think about how weird it was. It's like the cow's not talking to me. That goat's never said anything, but now I've got a serpent who's speaking. There should have been like a warning flag that went up that said something sketchy is going on. And Eve had good voices to listen to. She had God's voice. God told her clearly, listen, everything is for you. This is all for your good. Just don't do this one thing. And she had her husband's voice. And and ladies, think about how awesome this would have been. Adam, her husband, was sinless. Every advice he would have given would have been for her good. He would have never been selfish. He would have never been ignorant. He was always putting her needs uh, above his own. There was no sin. Like, uh, could you imagine having Adam as a husband? Way better than the disaster you're sitting next to right now, right? Because we're sinful. But the good news is we have a vertical men night tonight. We're going to solve all of those problems. So send your men here at eight and we'll get that all sorted away. But like, we don't even know what it's like to be in a relationship without the lingering sinful nature. She chose to listen to the wrong voice. And look what Satan says in verse one. This is important. It says, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See what Satan's doing? He's questioning both God's word and his goodness. Did God really say that you can't eat of any tree? That's not what God said. But what Satan is doing is he's putting attack under attack God's character. He's saying, God doesn't want you to eat anything. He must not be good. He seems like he's controlling you. He seems angry. You, you need to be free from this wicked God. He's twisting God's word. He's attacking God's word. And he's putting under fire God's character. The first step in the path to Adam and Eve's fall is they started listening to the wrong voice. Okay, and look here for a moment. You need to understand this. I would argue that in 2019 in America, we have more voices vying for our attention than ever before in human history. There are a lot of voices trying to get our attention. Um, Here's an example. Have you heard of the phrase electronic eavesdropping? Uh, this, This is a new phrase, and what they're finding is is that there's technology in your smartphone that whether your phone's on or off, it can record what you're talking about and then send you advertisements targeted from your conversations. Okay, so, so this, is, this has happened to me um, multiple times, but an example was is we had some friends over a couple months ago, and they're about to go on their 10-year anniversary, and they're going to go on a trip to Jamaica. And so we were talking, well, hey, what, where are you staying? What's the plans, man? So excited that you guys get to go this. Do you have any activities planned? We were just talking about their trip. And then after they left that night, I opened up my phone and it was advertisement after advertisement of resorts in Jamaica trying to get me to book there. Book your trip to Jamaica. I'm like, Mayor, this is crazy. 
Um, just a couple weeks ago, my son asked me, hey, dad, who's the best basketball player to ever live? And it was like such a good, proud dad moment. I'm like, son, let me tell you the tale of Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player to ever live, who played on the greatest team to ever exist. And I was talking about MJ and how I got to watch him as a young boy when I was growing up in Wheaton and how he was such a hero. Like, we were just talking about Michael Jordan. And I throw open my phone and it's ad after ad trying to get me to buy Air Jordan sneakers. Like, it's wild, okay? And so what you need to understand is that your phone, it's not a neutral voice. Your phone is made by a company that wants you to buy its products. And other companies pay the company that makes your phone a lot of money to get you to buy their products. It's a voice that's trying to get your attention, and its desire is not your good, it's their bottom line. You just have to understand it. Our world is loud. The news is talking, politics is talking, families talking, culture's talking. We need to rightly discern who to listen to. So this isn't in your notes, but if you're taking notes, write this down. Here are three good, word, or three good voices to listen to. The first is this, we need to listen to God's word. God's word is the best voice for us to listen to. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay, here's what he's saying right there, very, very simply, that God's word gives us clarity for what we're to do. That if I wanna know how to live the life that I was designed to live, I need God's word to light my path because sometimes life gets really, really dark and misty, doesn't it? So we've got to open God's word and say, what would you call me to do? What would you call me to be? How do I follow you in this scenario? Right? God had told Eve clearly, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. Don't go down that path. Every other path, there's incredible options for you. Don't do this thing. Like God was so kind and clear, but Eve stopped listening. So one of the awesome blessings of technology is that we have more access to God's word than ever before. Between podcasts, between sermons you can listen to online, between worship music, um, we have the ability to flood our lives with God's voice. Is that true of you? When we neglect it, we're snuffing out the voice of God in our lives. At some point, Eve stopped listening to God and God's voice, God's truth was drowned out by the lies of the enemies. Okay, here's the next voice you need to listen to. It's your spouse. You need to listen to the voice of your spouse. And and I've said this a million times. Outside of salvation, God's greatest gift to me in my life is my wife, Mary. And she's my best friend. And listen, there are things about me that Mary knows about me better than I know myself. And and, and she is like so close to me that, that she knows me better than anyone else. And I remember when we were young in marriage, I was trying to be like a thoughtful, engaging husband, and I would always ask this question, hey, Mayor, how are you doing? Are you okay? How are you doing emotionally? I'm trying to to learn you better. Are you okay? Is there anything you need from me? And I would ask the question, how are you doing? And as we've matured in marriage and as we've grown in our marriage, you know what's been really, really cool? We flip the question around. And I'll go to Mary and be, hey, Mary, how am I doing? You see things in me that I don't even see. And and what I want to do is I want to go to you to wisdom because God's given you to be a voice in my life and the same for me to you. And I want to know, is there anything you see in me that's off? So if I have a busy week at work or if I'm stressed out, I'll say, hey, Mayor, uh, what kind of dad am I being right now? Am I engaging with the kids well? Am I present? Am I being loving? Am I being a good husband right now or, or am I drifting? 
And by the way, Mary will sometimes tell me things I don't want to hear. But I've got to invite that and allow that because she's God's gift to me and I love her and she knows me better than I know myself. Have you allowed your spouse the freedom to say, hey, things aren't right with you. You're not in a good place. And if your wife or husband said that to you, would it quickly turn into trench warfare and would it get disruptive and would your household blow up? Or do you have the humility to say, listen, you're a gift from the Lord and you're there to help me be the best follower of God I can be. How am I doing? You need to listen to the voice of your spouse. Do you invite that in? Then here's the third. Um, You need to listen to the voices of friends who love Jesus. Friends who love Jesus. Um, Just this week, on I think Tuesday night it was, um, put the kids down to bed and about eight o'clock I went out and I gathered and hung out with some friends who used to be in my small group but our small group multiplied and now they're in a different small group but we're still just good friends. And there was four or five of us and we went out and we got some nachos and we just started talking about life. And what was so cool is this one of the guys, he's wrestling through kind of like, hey, do I make a career shift or not? And instantly he's like, guys, I need your help. I don't know what to do and I feel like I'm emotional about this decision and I'm not seeing things clearly. Here are my options. Here's what I'm thinking. Tell me if I'm being an idiot. Help me. And like for an hour, we sat around and just gave him wisdom and tried to help and tried to speak in. And I was just so proud and like excited about his humility to be like, listen, you guys love the Lord. You want what's best for me. Help me. I need your wisdom. And by the way, um, The loves Jesus part is really important. It's not just friends, but friends who love Jesus. And here's why. You can always find voices that will affirm what you want. It's not hard to find voices that say, you know what, just do what makes you feel good. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't cost me at all to affirm you. So I'll just tell you, do whatever, even if it's bad for you. Like that's the voice of our culture. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel fulfilled and blessed, just do that even if it's leading to your destruction. Just live for the moment because it feels good. Do you have friends who love you enough to tell you, hey, you're headed down a bad path? Um, As a pastor, I will occasionally be involved in marriage counseling and couples will come to me and their marriages are in trouble and and they'll be like, you know, help us kind of sort through these things. And what happens often, one of the worst things that can happen in your marriage is that when your marriage is in conflict, to surround yourself with voices that just want to affirm how you feel. Hey, you'd be better off without that piece of garbage. He never deserved you anyways. Do what makes you happy. Do what makes you fulfilled. You can do whatever you want. Like those are voices that you can find but they're not voices that are going to help and going to heal. Do you have friends that love you enough to tell you what's best for you even when you don't want to hear it? We need to listen to godly voices. The second choice that we need to make is we need to let the right God be God. We need to let the right God be God. Look at verse five here. It says this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So Satan says, listen, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you're going to be like God. Now, if you take notes in your Bible, do me a favor. Highlight this verse, star this verse, underline this verse, do all three. This verse is so important. Here's why. Because this is the battle that you and I are going to face every single day this side of eternity. Who gets to be God? Are we going to allow God to be in control and to be our authority? Or are we going to be the lie, are we going to believe the lie that we can be like God? 
that we know what's best, that we can be autonomous, that we can have ultimate authority. Am I going to yield? Am I going to trust? Am I going to be patient? Am I going to follow God and wait on him? Or am I going to believe this same lie? Uh, wasn't that video of Rick Durf's testimony so sweet? Like, I love that. And I don't know if you know Rick or not. He actually goes to our Grand Haven campus and he goes to our nine o'clock service. He sits in the front row every week and says amen like 57 times in the message. He's like the funnest guy to preach to. And, and, and here's what I love about that story. He's fighting this same battle each and every day. He's like, for most of my life, I was a Christian, but I wanted to be in control of my life. And God had to bring me to a place where I'm literally on an operating table, my arms spread like Jesus for God to show me, hey, you've got to give it all to me. And then I went through that four times. And by the way, he kind of minimizes how serious that infection was. He was like in a life or death situation. We walked that journey with Rick and it was brutal. And he says, I wouldn't trade it for anything because of what God did in my heart. And then just a couple weeks ago, again, at the altar, I've got to give it all to God again. We never stop fighting this battle. Who gets to be God? Who gets to be in control? Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, here's what Paul's saying. He goes, our battle is not with other people. Our battle is, look at verse 12, the schemes of, or sorry, verse 11, the schemes of the devil. Okay, let me help you. You wanna know what the schemes of the devil is? It's right here in Genesis 3. Hey, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will be like God. It can be all about you. You can be in control. You can have the authority. Satan's going to tell you, make it about you. So here's the question. Why do we gather here once a week to worship and sing songs to Jesus? Because we need to remind our hearts that he's the one who's good, he's the one who's in control, and that our lives are defined by his love and mercy, not our power. Why do we open God's word and read from it and apply it to our lives? Because we need to remind ourselves that the world isn't about us. It's about God and his glory, and when we're living for that, that's where joy is found. Um, why do we gather together in small groups? Because we need to help each other live this out practically. Why do we gather together tonight as men to lift high the name of Jesus and get after following the Lord? Because we need to. And men, if I could give a quick commercial. Um, on Friday, uh, my dad and I were able to go out hunting. And um, well, it was sitting in the woods looking at nothing. I don't know if that's technically considered hunting or not. Like it's woodsing. My dad and I went woodsing together. And uh, we saw nothing. And by the way, there's nothing more infuriating than sitting in the woods for like four or five hours, not seeing anything, and then having to swerve three times almost off the road because you hit deer as you're driving home that night. It's like, okay, someone, someone doesn't like me somewhere, right? Like, like it's, it's rough. That, that was our night Friday. But the cool thing was is I got to sit with my dad, and he was talking through what he's going to preach on tonight, and, and you need to be here for it. And we have uh, other churches starting to join this night. It's a powerful night, um, but this is going to just be a powerful night. So whatever you have going on tonight at 8, cancel it. You can pause Sunday Night Football, be here. It's going to be a powerful night. But listen, we have to do it because we have to fight this fight together. We're in a war against the schemes of the devil. The decision that's going to define our life is who gets to be God. Because listen, if my starting point is wrong, 
everything else in my life is going to be wrong. And if my starting point is that the world revolves around me and I'm God, it's never going to end well. We need to let the right God be God. I love this passage, Joshua 24, 15. It says, um, he's like dealing with uh, Israelites who want to worship idols. He says this, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, look at this, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's saying, I'm making the choice today that I'm gonna serve God. It's not gonna be idols, it's not gonna be myself. Here's the third one, and this one's so important. It's this, we need to choose an attitude of gratitude. We need to choose an attitude of gratitude. Look at verse six. It says, so when the woman, talking about Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Okay, do you see how in verse six, how it's like you can see Adam and Eve get hyper-focused and obsessed about this one tree? It's like they saw the fruit, they saw that it was good, they saw that it was a desire to be eaten and it would make them wise. And it's like in that moment, all they could see was the one thing they weren't allowed to have. Their eyes were off all that God had given to them, all that, that God had blessed them with, and all they saw was the one thing God prohibited them from having. Gratitude was replaced with envy. They chose to obsess about what they didn't have. Okay, look here. There's a lot of things in our life that are outside of our control. In fact, I would argue most of our life is outside of our control. But look here. We can absolutely choose our attitude. Do you know that? That our attitude, whether it's good or bad, thankful or envious, is a choice. Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor, because I don't know if you believe me, and say to them, you can choose your attitude. Listen, our attitude is a choice. And by the way, look here, help, like, like, help me. This is good news. You should be excited about this. Here's why. Because that means that your circumstances don't have control over your life. That even when things are going poorly, you can choose not to let that consume you and to have an attitude of thankfulness. And the other reason it's good news is because if your attitude sucks right now, you absolutely have the power to change it. Your attitude doesn't control you. You choose your attitude. It's a choice. There's this principle in, in business or, or this saying in business that when you have employees or if you're managing people, there's three different categories that you've got to worry about. There's competency. How good are they at their job? How equipped are they? Can they do the job? There's attitude. And then are they in the right fit? Competency, attitude, fit. And they basically say, if you have an employee who has a good attitude... Like, you can get them more competent if they need to get competent. You can work with them, you can build into them, you can get them training, and you can find the right fit for them in their organization. But if you have an employee that has a bad attitude, it's really hard to help them because you can't choose your employee's attitude. It's outside of your control. Attitude is a choice. And if I could be honest and transparent with you right now, I would say that around the holidays, this is something that I'm not very good at. I think oftentimes I choose an attitude of being overwhelmed and frustrated rather than an attitude of thankfulness and joy. And uh, I, I mean, here's what I mean by that. Like, even when I think about gathering together with my family, right? Like, I love my family and we're a close family and they're such a, a blessing to me. But on my mom and dad's side of the family, 
Um, we've got, I think, nine grandkids under the age of like nine and under right now, or eight and under. That's a lot of little people. And then for some reason, we've got like seven dogs, right? So every time we gather together, there's, there's nine grandkids, there's seven dogs, and it gets pretty loud. And I don't know if you've picked up on this or not. We have some relatively strong personalities on that side of the family. And like sometimes people get into stuff and they're just going to tell you how it is, whether you like it or not. And I think oftentimes when I'm hanging out with them, rather than being grateful and thankful, man, look at all these little lives that God has blessed us with. And isn't this so fun? Family's such a blessing. I can quickly turn into like, I just got to get out of here. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted that this whole thing is just like overwhelming me. Listen, that's a choice that I'm making. I can choose to be overwhelmed and frustrated, or I can choose to be peaceful and joyful and thankful for the family that God's given me. Your attitude is a choice. Just like Adam and Eve chose to have an attitude of envy, you and I can choose to have an attitude of gratefulness. Can I ask you a question? Would you say that you're a content person? Would the people in your life define you as a thankful, content person, or are you critical of everything? Is everything about how you could do it better, about how you haven't been given enough, about how you haven't been given your due, and the world would just work perfectly if you were in charge of it? What are the the words you say to yourself? Is it thankfulness or is it frustration? Paul warns about this in 1 Timothy 6, and it's a very serious warning. Here's what he says. He says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and through its craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And what he's saying is, listen, the desire to have more. I'm not thankful with what I have. I'm not thankful with what God's given me, but I want more and I want better and I want it now that it leads people to destruction, even that they might walk away from the faith. How do you view your spouse? Are you thankful for the person that God has given you to do life with? Or are you hyper-focused on all the areas they fall short of your expectations? And how they're not beautiful enough or they're not sensitive enough or they're not engaged enough or they're not emotionally in tune to where you are enough. What, what do you focus on when it's your spouse? Are you for them? Are you thankful? Do you love them? How about your kids? Are you thankful for your kids or are they just cramping your freedom and cramping your style? And I just got to get through raising these monsters, then I can be free again, right? What's your attitude? At work, are you thankful that God's given you the ability to provide for your family and been generous to you? Or is it all, my boss is an idiot, I hate the politics, I'm discontent, I'm unsatisfied. Like I make light of it with some jokes, but Paul says that it can lead to our ruin. Are you focused on what you have or what you don't have? We have the choice on what we marinate our mind in and the attitude of envy and selfishness is a road that leads only to misery. If you're on the road of selfishness, you're headed to the town of misery. And I've said this a million times, it's this. Think about the most miserable person you know right now. And don't elbow them if you're sitting next to them, right? I'm not making a point right now. But honestly, think about the most miserable person you know. I'm willing to bet they're really, really selfish. And here's why. We were never created to be the star of the show. 
It was never meant to be all about us. So the more we are selfish and try to make our lives all about how people view us and about us and what we get and we want, it's only leading to being miserable. We were created to know, love God, love others, and be generous towards God and others. That's the path to joy. Where's your heart at? Your attitude's a choice. Look at verse 7. It says this, and the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Here's the last choice we need to make. Don't hide. Don't hide. So Adam and Eve, they eat, they sin, they fall, they fail. Then they hear God walking in the garden just like he did every night. And what they do is, is they hide. And they try to get away from each other and they try, to, they, they, they try to hide from God's presence. And if you know the end of the story, once God finds them, it gets ugly, right? They start blame shifting and Adam's like, it's this woman you gave me, it's her fault. He doesn't even call her by her name. He just says, this woman. Never a good move, men, right? Never refer to your wife as this woman. It's never gonna go well. And Eve's like, no, no, it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. He deceived me. And there's conflict and there's arguing and they're blame shifting and look here. Isn't that such a perfect picture of our hearts when we fail? We want to hide and we want to not admit that it's our fault, that we're the ones wrong, and we want to blame shift and we want to justify and say, no, 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 it's not my fault, it's these outside circumstances. Listen, do you want to know what you really believe about the gospel and what you believe about God? How do you respond not when you have a success but when you fail? Like, I, I love that, like, that this always happens in sports. Like, someone wins a championship, and they're like, hey, I want to give all the glory to God. And it's like, that's great. Like, I'm, I'm not against that at all. But it's easy to when you just won the championship. What happens when you fail? Because if your response is, is to hide and to blame shift and to justify, here's what you're communicating or what your heart's communicating that God's not for you, that he's an angry judge who wants to crush you for your sin, and you've got to earn his love. But if you really believe that God has forgiven you, that he loves you unconditionally, that he is a heavenly father who wants you to come to him even in his failure, then when we do fail, we can admit it. Hey, God, I failed and I was selfish and my attitude was garbage. Help me, I need your strength and I need your power to, to empower me to honor you in this moment. And by the way, this is the only way relationships get healed um, from one another too, right? Like when I go to my wife and I'm like, hey, Mary, I wasn't loving to you. And what I said was hurtful and it was rude and it was short-tempered and my attitude was bad. I need to ask your forgiveness. I'm not trying to justify it. There was no excuse. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry. That's how relationships are restored when we're humble enough not to hide and to dig into trench warfare and throw grenades at each other, but willing to openly and humbly say, I'm still a work in progress and I know God loves me. I'm asking for your forgiveness as well. Man, what God would do in our relationships if we had that kind of humility. And so let's get real, right? We're entering a season where we spend a lot of time with family. Is there a relationship in your family that's tense or broken? And maybe it's 90% their fault and 10% yours. Are you willing to own the 100% of your 10% and say, I haven't been perfect here? And I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I want a good relationship with you. And I know that God's still working on me and he forgives me. I'm asking that you'll do the same, right? Maybe there's a conversation that needs to happen between a married couple right now on the way home from church. Hey, 
Let's hit the reset button on how we're treating each other and what our attitude is towards one another. I'm thankful for you and I love you. You're God's gift in my life. When's the last time you told your spouse that? Because if it's been a while, you need to do it. We can choose our attitude. The greatest thing that you and I have to be thankful for is that we have a God who endures with us. Like, listen to me. Nobody in this room is gonna make it here unscathed to next week and be perfect. All of us are gonna fail. All of us are gonna mess up, which means we all have the opportunity to lean into God's love and forgiveness together. We should be the most thankful people in the entire world because we have a God who knows us, who loves us, and is patient with us, and is walking with us. Amen? All right, well, let's let that be our story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm just so thankful for this time. I'm thankful um, just for this church, God, and I'm thankful for a church that gathers together and lifts high your name in worship. God, I'm thankful for the humility of the people in this room that just wants to hear your word and hear it preached and hear it applied to their lives. Would you give us the strength to do that? And God, in a season that can be crazy and overwhelming and busy, God, would you help guard our attitudes? Would we be a light for you in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces simply because we have attitudes that are grateful? And we love you and you've given us everything, so we've got nothing that we can't be grateful for. God, it's hard and it's difficult and there's a million different circumstances and you know every single one of us. You're walking with us, you're patient, you love us. Let us hold on to that truth. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.